I hope you're having a good day and thanks for joining me. My name is Kayla and this is Feel Good Murders. I know what you're thinking, what the hell Kayla, murders are not good. I know, I know, and that's not what I'm saying and believe me, these are not happy stories. But let me explain. My mom and I are both really into true crime and we were originally going to record these episodes together. I was going to tell her the case and you'd be able to hear her reactions and her questions right then and there. But unfortunately, right before I started putting together the first episode, we found out that my mom is sick. She has non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, so the next few months will be challenging. So to keep her morale up and honestly just to give her something to do, I decided to record these episodes for her. I'm hoping giving her something to listen to takes her mind off of her situation and helps her feel better. Hence, feel good murders. I'm hoping the same for anyone listening. I'm really glad you're here. So let's get started. Okay, so before we actually get started, there's a couple things I want to tell you guys about. Just a couple matters of business. So first, for those of you who are wondering about my mom, she I know she has some fans, but She's had a couple blips recently, but she's doing well. Her and I continue to joke and gossip and talk about true crime, and I give her updates about my baby, just like normal, which is super refreshing. Just today, actually, I had her on FaceTime while I gave my baby a puree for the first time, so that was funny for her to see. We live in Arizona, so I do get to see her a lot, and she says that the sunshine and laughter are the best medicine. And she said mentally and energetically, she's feeling great. So she just started her journey with chemo, but it'll be a long road ahead. And I have no doubt that she'll put up a good fight. The second, I want to tell you guys about how I want to go about releasing episodes for this podcast. And pretty much all true crime podcasts release episodes continuously week after week. And that's awesome, but I'm not going to do that. I I would love to give you guys constant, endless content every week, but that's just not going to work for me. So this is what we're going to do. I'm going to do two weeks on and one week off for eight episodes, and that will be season one. So that means that I released an episode last week, and I'm releasing one, you know, this episode, obviously. So there will be no episode next week. So the next episode that will be released will be Wednesday, January 25th at 12 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. And each time a new episode comes out, it will be at that time, at that time, excuse me, 12 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. So I'm doing this one so I have enough time to create truthful and high quality and engaging episodes for you guys. And also so I don't get burned out. Mental health matters, people. So that's how we're going to do it. And lastly, with the start of this podcast, I wanted to do something special. So we are raising money for a donation to Season of Justice. Season of Justice is a nonprofit organization which was founded by Ashley Flowers from the Crime Junkie podcast. If you've never listened to Crime Junkie, which if you're here, I'm guessing you have, but if you haven't, definitely go listen. So Season of Justice, they grant money to investigative agencies to help solve cold cases. I know that raising money cannot bring these victims the true justice they deserve, but I think we can make a difference, even if it's only a little bit. So there are two ways to donate, and both can be found in the description of this episode, as well as in the link in the Feel Good Murders Instagram bio, which is just at Feel Good Murders. So first, if you want to do- donate, excuse me, 
You can simply donate any amount to the GoFundMe I set up and any amount helps. Second, you can purchase a true crime t-shirt on bonfire.com and the profits from that purchase will go to Season of Justice. I created these t-shirts myself. They're a nice neutral sand color and I did post a picture of myself wearing mine in the Feel Good Murders Instagram. So if you want to go check it out, you can see it there. I'm going to extend the fundraiser for a few more days, so please donate. Now, let's really get started. So, one thing you should know about me as a true crime enthusiast is that I'm always down for an intriguing poisoning story. And actually, in fact, I have a tattoo on my left arm of a poison bottle. It's inspired by the story of Julia Tofana, the woman who made poison disguised as makeup and called it Aqua Tofana. So if my husband ever dies mysteriously, I'm for sure going to jail because that does not make me look good. But love you, honey. Promise. So a good poisoning story is what we have today. This is the story of Michael Wallace and David Castor, but... This story revolves mostly around Stacy Castor. Stacy Castor was born Stacy Ruth Daniels on July 24, 1967, in Clay, New York. As a child, she was described by her mother, Judy Eaton, as not afraid of anything and inquisitive. Apparently, she asked so many questions that sometimes her mom would give her a three why limit in a day. So, Basically, she could only ask why three times because she asked just that much. By the time Stacy was 17, she met a man named Michael Wallace. When Stacy and Michael met, you could say there was a spark. She later said in an interview with ABC News, quote, I knew five minutes after meeting him that I was going to marry him. Three years later, in 1988, Stacy and Michael got married at Stacy's parents' house and, in the same year, had their first baby girl, who they named Ashley. Their second daughter, Bree, came just a few years later in 1991. But, despite Stacy and Michael's strong romantic connection early on, the couple seemed to have some troubles after their daughters were born. Stacy had a job at an ambulance dispatch company, and Michael worked as a night shift mechanic, but... They didn't have very much money, and also according to Stacy, Michael had a favorite child, and it was their youngest daughter, Bree. So Stacy tried to make up for that by being really close to Ashley, and eventually Stacy and Michael just grew apart as a couple. And also, it was rumored that they each had affairs outside of their marriage. A few years later, in 1999, Michael's family started to notice that he kept getting sick on and off, and his sickness was seemingly unexplained, too. Michael's sister, Rosemary Corbett, described Michael during this time as being, quote, swollen and puffy, and he was coughing a lot, too. Michael's sister-in-law also described him as being almost drunk-like. And meanwhile, as a side note, Stacy did say that Michael tended to drink and do drugs too much. His family encouraged him to go see a doctor to find out what was going on and get it taken care of, but sadly, Michael died before he got the chance to do so. The day Michael died, their daughter Ashley was 11 at the time, and sadly, she was with him when it happened. 
He was laying on the couch, and she remembers thinking he was just making funny faces when suddenly he threw his hands up in the air and then clutched his side, and then his arm just fell, and he was just laying there. Poor Ashley does carry that to this day with her, this guilt that she feels. She wondered if there was anything more that she could have done, but she was 11, and there was nothing she could have done. Michael was taken to the hospital that day where he passed away, and doctors said that it was a heart attack that caused his death. So, remember Michael's sister, Rosemary? She was not satisfied with this report, and she was suspicious. She did not believe that he died from a heart attack, so she asked Stacy to order an autopsy for Michael. But Stacy said no, saying that she didn't really see any reason that it wouldn't be a heart attack. So, Michael was laid to rest. Fast forward to 2003, when Stacy meets a man named David Castor. David Castor owned an air conditioning installation and repair company where Stacy was employed as his office manager. They got married in 2003, so this is three years after her first husband Michael dies and she gets married to David. It seemed Stacy had finally found her perfect guy. David was said to be tall, good-looking, he bought nice dresses for Stacy, he took her out to fancy dinners. Stacy's friend Danny Coleman said, quote, Stacy was loved, she was treated like a lady. On August 22, 2005, after two years of marriage, Stacy called 911 at 2 p.m. concerned about her husband. She said he didn't show up for work. Remember, they worked together at his business. She said, quote, I'm just getting a little concerned because I haven't talked to him since 5 o'clock in the morning on Sunday when he locked me out of the bedroom. I did listen to clips of this 911 call, and I feel like she does sound genuinely concerned. She revealed on this call that on Sunday, David had been drinking and the couple got into a big argument. And Stacy also claimed that David had been dealing with depression and that David had said to her if Stacy left him, he would make her sorry. So 10 deputies responded to this call where they actually had to break down the locked bedroom door and found David Castor dead on his bed with no clothes on. During initial investigation, Detective Dominic Spinelli assumed that this was a suicide after finding a glass half full of antifreeze. If you don't already know, antifreeze is a liquid that's commonly used in cooling systems in cars to prevent damage. Citing the argument the couple had, the amount of stress David had from the business, and his father's recent death, Detective Spinelli was right. It was entirely possible that David Castor had just taken his own life. Once Stacy received the news that her husband was dead, she became hysterical. She was distraught crying and screaming, he's not dead, he's not dead. Police began their death investigation by searching the house and taking a few items, including drinking glasses and bottles from the bedroom. And one peculiar item they took was a turkey baster that was found in the garbage can in the kitchen. Detective Willoughby noted that the turkey baster looked new, but smelled like alcohol and actually had a few drops in it. Although he thought this was strange because there was really no indication in the kitchen that anybody had been cooking. So why would there be a turkey baster with liquid in it in the garbage? 
David's family, including Ashley Wallace, was crushed and in disbelief about the news of David committing suicide. They did not believe David would have killed himself, and neither did Detective Spinelli. Spinelli refused to close the case because he had a strong feeling that something was off. And Detective Spinelli's hunch was right on the money because results came back on the evidence detectives had collected, and the fingerprints on the glass that was half full of antifreeze belonged to Stacy, not David. Also, David's DNA was the only DNA found at the tip of the turkey baster. David Castor's death investigation was now a homicide investigation. Detectives noted that it was strange that both Stacy's husbands died untimely deaths, so they started investigating her. They listened in on her phone calls, they wiretapped her house, and they even put a camera on her husband's grave sites. And by grave sites, I mean one site because Stacy had David buried right next to her first husband, Michael Wallace. Detectives thought that if she truly loved her husbands, she would visit their graves. But she never did. Detective Spinelli was dead set on his sixth sense about something being off in this case, and after careful consideration, he made the decision to exhume the body of Michael Wallace to reinvestigate. And after re-examining the body, a new ruling on his death came out that instead of dying from a heart attack like they thought, he died from antifreeze poisoning, just like David Castor. After the news came out that both of Stacy's husbands had died from antifreeze poisoning, she knew police were building a case against her, and she started panicking. And that is when she allegedly began devising a plan. In September of 2007, after Michael Wallace's body had been exhumed, investigators visited Ashley Wallace at college to tell her the news and to ask her a few questions. Ashley was absolutely crushed by the news that her father didn't actually die from a heart attack. So she called her mom. Remember, Stacy and Ashley were very close, and Ashley even called her mom her best friend. I call my mom my best friend, too. Stacy suggested that the two of them relax and have a drink, so Ashley went over to hang out with her mom. But 17 hours later, Ashley is found by her sister Bree, passed out on her bed. Bree yelled for her mom to call 911, and when she returned to Ashley, she found a supposed suicide note next to her. This note was a quote-unquote confession from Ashley about killing her dad, Michael, and her stepdad, David. She was tested, and the test revealed that Ashley had fatal painkillers in her system, and her life was saved by just minutes by the paramedics. Ashley also said that she did not write that note, and the last thing she remembers before passing out is her mom handing her a, quote, nasty-tasting drink. This was finally enough for police to arrest Stacy for second-degree murder for David's death and attempted murder of Ashley and for framing Ashley for David and Michael's deaths. During trial, prosecutors argued for Stacy's guilt by arguing that Ashley's quote-unquote suicide note was actually written by Stacy. And in fact, they found several drafts of this suicide note on Stacy's computer, which were written during a time when Ashley was away at college, so there's no way that she could have been the one who wrote them. Ashley did testify against her mom at trial. 
Prosecutors also attempted to theorize that Stacy's motive for killing her husbands was to cash in on their life insurance policies. They theorized this especially because Stacy had cheated David's son out of his will, likely so she could inherit everything. It's always about the life insurance when it comes to female killers, isn't it? On the other hand, Stacy's defense team attempted to poke holes in Ashley's stories, saying that she could have been jealous of the way her father favorited her younger sister Bree, and she could have killed him for it. And they brought in a pharmaceutical expert to create doubt about Ashley being drugged 17 hours before being rushed to the hospital. But on February 5th, 2009, Stacy Castor was found guilty of second-degree murder for poisoning David to death and attempted second-degree murder for drugging her daughter, Ashley. She was sentenced to 25 years in prison for the murder of her husband, David Castor, and another 25 years for attempting to kill Ashley, and one more year for cheating David's son out of the will totaling 51 years, and given Stacy's age at the time, it was essentially a life sentence. Stacy had earned herself the name Black Widow by the media outlets. Stacy served her prison sentence at the Bedford Hills Correctional Facility for Women in Bedford Hills, New York, until she died in prison in 2016. She was found dead in her cell on June 11, 2016, at the age of 48, and her death was listed as undetermined at first, until the DA's office later determined that she died of a heart attack, with no signs of foul play or suicide. Ironic, huh? 2020 did a special on this case and interviewed Stacy in 2009, where she maintained her innocence and expressed that she was actually shocked when she was found guilty. In this interview, she also continued to point blame at her daughter, Ashley. And in response, Ashley said, quote, I would have done anything for her, but she tried to kill me instead. Neither Bree or Ashley ever spoke to their mother again after trial, and they never received an apology. Today, Bree lives in New York and is a loving mother. And Ashley also lives in New York. She's engaged to be married, and she's still dealing with the trauma that her mother brought onto her. And that is the story of the poisoning deaths of Michael Wallace and David Castor. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Feel Good Murders, and I hope I distracted you from whatever you have going on in your life. See you next time. Be good and feel good. Bye!